where do you and your team tend to get stuck? It happens to everyone to some degree and at different times. Some feel stuck in responding to rapid changes in the environment like a pandemic or the need to change because of new regulations or competitors or customer needs. It's difficult for leaders to know the right path and how to accelerate change. Well, today we're talking to someone who has traveled that path as a CEO and is now helping other leaders to get unstuck by tapping into the wisdom of others. It's Craig LaMasters, author of Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. Even in this time of crisis, actually, especially in a time of crisis, there is an enormous opportunity for business owners, managers, and professionals of all stripes who look to not only survive, but also to grow. And one of the most direct and effective ways to change your business and grow is by changing the way you and everyone else talk about it. That's where my work as an author, professional speaker, and consultant comes in. On this podcast, we're here to help you with ideas for the three necessary components for managing your message. First, creating the message itself. That means the words, stories, insights, and evidence you want your customers and prospects to know about. Second, equipping and growing your network of messengers, the people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday business advantage. When you bring those pieces together, you will very likely enjoy improvements in revenue, market share, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I take you through that process in more detail in my book, available from Career Press. It's titled, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it in paperback, Kindle, and audio versions wherever great business books are sold. You can also find a free sample on my website, jimcar.com. We bring all of this together for you because, simply put, it's much easier to grow your business all over again when you are a message manager. If you're a veteran message manager listener, then you know I'll often use this point to share why I invited a particular guest onto the podcast. Well, we all feel the pressure for speed, and success in business depends more and more on moving quickly and decisively. It's so easy to get stuck, or at least to feel that way. I was introduced to Craig LaMasters by a mutual friend, and I'm so appreciative because he has some great ideas about getting unstuck. Craig often introduces himself simply as an operator. He has always run things. Craig sat in the CEO's chair at a major business for years, Assurance Solutions. He's quite transparent in describing the struggles he faced, how to expand the business, how to navigate mergers and acquisitions, how to best grow the team. His time leading Assurant was pretty much by any measure a great success. He grew from a $2 billion domestic business in a stagnant industry of credit insurance to a much larger and growing global provider of protection products. How did that happen? 
Well, Craig will tell you that as he climbed the corporate ladder, he felt more and more alone, but he found an approach that helped, leveraging the wisdom of others who had traveled a similar road before him. Today, Craig is helping other leaders with his concept of wisdom-based learning. He is CEO of a consultancy called GXG. He says their radically simple approach has helped more than 100 senior corporate leaders generate more than $400 million of impact. He sets it out in his upcoming book, Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others. Here's my conversation with Craig LaMasters. Craig, I'm so pleased that you're uh, spending a little time with us here on the Manager Message podcast. You have such an interesting background, and the kind of work that you're doing is pretty unique as well. We talked a little bit about your background in the bio, but these days, Craig, it's pretty unusual. You worked with the same big company for more than 20 years, worked up the ladder, ran the place for a long time. And I'm wondering, first of all, your experience, the kind of things that you saw along the way to actually running Assurance Solutions. And then we'll talk a little bit about the transition that you led and how you got people on board to make a big transformation there. But just a little bit about your perspective as you went through the years there and and what you saw. And then were there things that you saw is like, we can do better than this? <laughs> yeah, plenty of them. First of all, thanks for having me, Jim. It's fun to have the conversation today. Love the love the body of work that you're a part of. So really looking forward to our conversation. And and yeah, as you said, I mean, I'm a little bit of an oddball, I suppose, <laughs> that I spent you know over 25 years really with the same organization. You just don't see that a lot today. And and I tell people quite simply that I had, I and I believe this, I had the best big company job you could have. And I suppose that at some point I missed a, a big meeting and got picked to be CEO of Assurance Solutions. And and I had the really good fortune of doing that job, as I say, and those in public company life will understand this. I got to do it for 44 quarters. <laughs> Sounds like a former CEO talking in terms of quarters, not years. It is a little bit, but you know, 11 years in that job, again, is a little bit unusual and maybe I beat the system, but I think we had some really nice success, if you will. We grew the company pretty dramatically, both domestically and internationally, and just quite candidly, just had a blast doing it. I mean, it was a real blessing to have an incredible group of people to work with and to come up in a company and just be given these opportunities. And and yeah, to your specific question, you know, my journey was kind of interesting. I, I just sort of developed a simple philosophy is, I, and I tell young people this now, and they kind of, I think some of them sort of chuckle at me, but I, I literally never asked for a raise and never asked for a promotion. I just wasn't part of my sort of genetic makeup. And I just always felt that if you enjoy what you do, which I, I did along the way, some jobs more than others, that if you worked really hard at it and you had some success and some output, which I'm very focused on as an operator, that good things would happen. And, and it really did. I mean, it worked for me. I don't know if it does for everybody, but that's sort of how I came up through the organization. And then the path for the company, if I understand this correctly, if you think of kind of a from to two, you uh, assurance was in credit insurance, business to business, domestically in the U.S., and that didn't seem to be a category, an area that was growing. It was pretty stagnant, I would imagine, at the time. And then over time, you expanded into some consumer business. You went into overseas markets. Tell us a little bit about where you looked for growth. And then 
I'm just imagining, you know, again, very traditional business. How do you light the fire <laughs> when internally and as the leader and the message leader in that organization? Yeah, no, I, and, and that's a great description of our company. We did very well. And in the 90s, actually grew the company dramatically when credit insurance was hot. And we, and we just so people know, I mean, credit insurance, simply we protect the payment of any type of loan or financial obligation. So credit card payment, small loan or whatever. And we were really good at it. We were the leaders in the industry, grew like crazy in, through the 90s, early 2000. And then that business came to a screeching halt. And I would love to say that it was brilliant strategy on my part to go do some new stuff, as I like to call it. But quite frankly, uh, and I'll never forget the day that Sandy Weil, the Citicorp CEO at the time, went on TV and said, if you remember the days of the, quote, predatory lending issues, and he literally went on TV and said, oh, by the way, it's not our lending practices. It's this thing called credit insurance that we sell. That's the problem. And we're going to stop. And, you know, as a leader of a pretty big business in my public company, that was a really bad day. It's like, right. what, what just happened? You know, we talk about that sometimes, like, you know, you can come to the end of the run in a product life cycle, but they don't always just sort of stop. So what happened was people literally over a number of months started just stop selling our products. So that was a real inflection point for me as a leader to say, you know what, it probably would have been better if we were prepared to do some other things, maybe related to this, maybe a little further from the core. But a real inflection point for me as a leader. So again, I was sort of forced into my first dose of how do we go find new stuff to do. And I use the word stuff just because I don't really like technical consulting terms. I don't <laughs> like all the, I think we overcomplicate a lot of business, but we were really good at some stuff, Jim. And what we did was say, okay, we're really good at credit insurance. We can do other products like that. And that's quite frankly, how we got into the warranty business. We became the leaders in extended service contracts. And the reason was very simple. A lot of the same characteristics transferred. And what we saw was a big gap of quality companies that were could really do a good job there. So we jumped in and and over a period of 10 years became the leader in that space. And then that led us to the mobile space. We became one of the leaders in protecting mobile devices. And then along that journey was when I sort of woke up one day and thought, you know, this stuff really works well domestically. What about sort of the rest of the world? And we very methodically over that same time period, about 10 years, started building our international presence and, you know, did it close in the traditional Canada, Puerto Rico kind of testing stuff that was easy. And then we went pretty big. And and actually today, it was one of the most enjoyable things I got to do was our global expansion. And today, that's the biggest part of assurance growth is outside of the U.S. So that's how we got there. And the message for me, this is when I, again, kind of became fascinated in what you really focus on, which is messaging. It's like, how do you take groups of people and really help them understand you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it and why we might be changing it? You know, newsflash, a lot of people don't like change. So that's when I became really, really interested in the whole, what I would call both science and art around messaging it was through all that change we went through. And let's explore that a little bit because we're going to get into the work that you're doing today and a book that you have that's upcoming. And But the scenario you described, I think there's the big picture, as you said, people talk about change, but we don't like it. So people, and especially big organizations, teams, and those that have been successful in the past of doing something really well, as your company had been, 
usually the change has to be spurred by some external, is a regulatory force, a big market change, missing targets, something that forces everyone's hand. As I heard it described years ago, Craig, people tend to run away from the heat more than they run toward the light. <laughs> I love that. So, so you had this thing that happened. You had been with the company for some time. I'm imagining that a lot of your colleagues had also been working either for the company or within the industry for a long time. So what was that like in terms of people not panicking, but also you know, helping lead the impulse of here, we know we must change. Here's where we need to go. Let's, as you say, methodically go through that process. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I love the I love the uh, light and heat. <laughs> I'm going to use that. That's really cool. I don't remember where I first heard it, so you know, feel free to take it without attribution. <laughs> yeah, this is all you. But yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting because when I look back, the first part of that communication was actually the easiest because it was kind of crisis mode. I mean, when your whole company is sitting there watching, you know, your business model be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And again, keep in mind, we had done no wrong. Our people loved our products. We had huge consumer positive surveys, et cetera. So we were kind of a victim, if you will, of a bigger issue. But it didn't matter. I mean, it was still happening. So that was actually easier as a leader because everyone got it. It's like, wow, we better figure out something else to do. So as we embarked in the warranty business, it kind of made sense to people. Where it got more challenging to me and the real inflection point was as we started to grow and do better and then the whole complacency sets in and we had bigger goals. And again, if you run a public company, you'll understand this, that you know that perfectly linear upward line never changes. That's the expectation. It's challenging and it's not realistic, but it is what it is. So what a real inflection point for me, Jim, was when We were probably midway in that journey. We had had some success, but again, a little bit of the complacency sets in and you can start to feel in the organization. And I had some really, really smart people, fortunately, always around me. And one of them really helped me understand this idea of purpose as it relates to business. I'd always felt pretty good about that personally and with my family, but had never really pushed at it with the company because probably we had done pretty well. And all of a sudden it hit me that if we were going to get to the next level, I had to start changing the message. And for us, it was very simple. What we ended up coming up with was we really stepped back and look at what we were doing. And you could say on the surface, selling insurance and service contracts on a wireless device or a washer and dryer or an automobile. I mean, you know, how big a deal is that? And the industry got a little bit of a bad rap. There were some bad actors in it. And that's kind of where our people were. It's like I pay claims, I send checks, I do these jobs. And so what we did was change the whole headset over the course of literally a couple of months. And our tagline became, which was important, protecting what matters most. And the reason we came up with that is if you look at the data, one of the single most important things in people's lives are those inches, those few inches in the palm of your hand, because that's what holds your phone. And all of a sudden, we started connecting the dots for employees that, look, you know, yeah, we provide insurance and service contract, but what we really are doing is keeping people connected with their kids. We're keeping people connected with their finances. You know, we keep people Mm -hmm. that are in trouble in emergencies. Well, now all of a sudden, I'm not just, you know, in a mundane job paying a claim. I'm getting somebody back connected with their family, 
right? And now it's really personal. And so we spent a couple of years doing that. And it was really, again, when I bought into the importance of messaging and how it can change the culture of a company and explain things very simply. Everything we did from there had to connect back to the messaging. And it worked. I mean, simple thing is it worked. And I think it was largely a part of the fairly dramatic growth that we went on domestically and internationally. Very interesting in how you developed this tagline, but it was more than a tagline. Absolutely. Part of what I I like about this and and to our message manager listeners, taglines can be kind of snappy and clever and the like. And then on the other side of the spectrum, Craig, I find that a lot of vision and mission statements are way in the clouds and they sound like a committee decision because they often are. But (laughs) this was very tight and it not only at an organizational level, but it also translates first into the way that people actually talk and think, and then also down to the individual employee level, the individual seller level. I am helping to protect what matters most, and I'm not talking about shareholder value or something like that. So it, it, a nice job there of taking something that feels real and practical and simple, but also has a result to it. And I think that's right, Jim. The light bulb that went on to me was this literal heart-level connection to people. And that's what this started to achieve. And in fact, if we were together in a room night, I still use the example on messaging with people. And we'll do the visual here and even for your listeners. So if I'm sitting across the table from you, if I take your cell phone right now, if I just grabbed your mobile device, didn't say anything, I just took it away and just put it in my pocket and we continued our conversation. So if you get that visual, my guess is you would not listen to another word I said. You would be horribly terrified about what I did with your phone and when you were going to get it back. Now, that's not just because I'm guessing because you want to go check your Instagram account. It might be, but it's probably not. But you realize how important that device is. And so I used to do that a lot. Even when I would do speaking engagements, I would go in the audience, take a phone and actually throw it up against the wall and shatter it in front of people. Now, obviously, that was the business we were in, so we could replace it quickly. (laughs) But it was a dramatic example to say, how do you feel right now? And then all of a sudden, our employees started to realize, this feels awful. (laughs) Right. I feel exposed. I feel disconnected. Yes. That's right. And guess what company is here for you when that happens in the real world and somebody steals it, it breaks or whatever. Guess what company is going to get that back in your hand in 24 hours? And all of a sudden, I use this term, I don't use it lightly. I believe if you look hard enough, every organization has some level of noble cause that they're a part of. I don't care what company it is. I don't care what you're selling. If you look hard enough, you can find something really noble about what you're doing. And that's what we started to believe. You know, looking about washer and dryers. I mean, to you and I, we take it for granted. But our average service contract client on that can't afford usually to fix a major repair on the washer and dryer. Well, have you ever been without your washer and dryer for a few weeks? It's a big problem. And especially these days, when you're talking about things that where people are more homebound and and we're, we're relying on our mobile devices even more. Absolutely. You know, refrigerator, freezer, we take it for granted. Guess what? There's a big part of the population that owned our service contracts on their refrigerator freezers. And if those go bad and they lose all their food, that's a big financial burden. Maybe not for you and I, right? We're super fortunate. But all of a sudden you get the idea, this drumbeat, it was like, wow, 
what we're doing is a little bigger than I thought it would. Now, again, I'm not trying to overblow it and say that, you know, this is saving the world on all levels. But guess what? What you're doing is pretty darn noble. And we should approach it that way. And what that did, as that started to sink in, it allowed me and my leadership team to really push the envelope on what we were doing, how we were growing the company, this discretionary performance that we love to talk about. Guess what? That went through the roof in our company went through the roof. People really wanted to be a part of something. And again, that's when I really fell in love with this, really just this whole topic around messaging. And you hit, I love what you said. It's not about the tagline. The words are important and you have to craft them right, but it's the heart level connection. And then, you know, super smart people, you know, like you and others can really drill down on the words and help get it right. It's the heart level. What is the noble cause that you're really doing or trying to do? That's really well stated, Craig. And you exited Assurance Solutions on your own own terms and decided you wanted to do something a little bit different. It was uh, no drama there, everyone. It was unusual in that regard as well. Just a few years ago, now you've gone ahead and you're working with other executives, other leadership teams. And and I want to jump a little bit. We're going to talk about your approach to learning and coaching, talk about a book that you have that's upcoming. And I want to connect a couple of things that you've talked about already. One is complacency. We're having this rapid change in business around the world that people are and, and leaders are having to deal with and figure, how do we adjust? Do we need to adjust our business? How do we need to adjust our business? And you know, how are we going to continue to serve in the way that we have? The other is talking about getting stuck. And that's really a core thing of a, what do we do next? What do we need to change? What's holding us back? And so let's talk about the stuck part. Sure. Yeah. My favorite topic. I love it. Yeah. So when you think about someone, whether you're a, an individual professional or you're leading a team or leading a company, what do you see are the patterns of where we tend to get stuck? Are we stuck in framing the kind of choices to make? Do people tend to get stuck at certain points in their careers or certain part in the organizational's journey? Or is it really a lot of different scenarios where you find that leaders and teams tend to get stuck? Yeah. And again, it is my favorite topic. Super simple terminology. I use stuck because that's what resonated with me when I look back and I sat in that chair for 11 years. And even before that, as a senior leader, I got stuck a lot. And we don't like to, a lot of people don't like the term, quite frankly, because it's like, oh, I'm not stuck or that seems pretty severe. It's just the truth. I mean, let's just admit it. Let's be humble enough to say these are hard jobs. It's hard to grow anything, any organization. It's hard to grow long-term. I mean, you're going to have lots of ups and downs, and that's the reality. So I started using this term stuck, and then obviously the flip side of that is, is there a path to get unstuck? And and part of why I did this versus, again, have the best big company job ever is we bumped into a couple things, and this is the primary one, this stuck, unstuck, wisdom-based learning, that I became so passionate about. I started thinking, boy, wouldn't it be cool to go share this with other leaders? I mean, this is, I think, a, a bit of a secret sauce. And, and again, I built a business around it, but more importantly, I just love sharing it because it works. And again, I'm an output-based person, Jim. I'm not, I'm probably not smart enough to be a thought leader on anything. I 
just run stuff and build stuff. And so the way I define stuck is super simple, is that for my definition, it's about when we move from our core Okay, it can be your core business, it can be your core product, it can be your core career, it doesn't matter. It can be a core relationship, personal life. But we, we move from core to new stuff, okay? And if I use the business context, if I'm a domestic-only business and I want to be a global business, that's new stuff. I mean, that's just, it's a big, pretty big leap. That's when we get stuck. When I say that, you're probably going, well, you know, okay, that kind of makes sense and it's kind of intuitive. But where I differentiate it is within our core, we better not be getting stuck. I mean, if we're really stuck, maybe we're just not moving forward very fast or it's not working. Those are usually other issues, pretty tactical people issues and stuff. And, and tons of firms, a lot of people working on that. That's not my thing. My thing is about long-term sustainable growth. So what I'm talking about is core to new stuff that's where I see the problem because it was the problem for me. Again, we were great at our core business. We were leaders of everything. And then we woke up one day and it went away. So now we got to go do new stuff. And that's when I started using this terminology. That's where I see people get stuck. And I've been Mm -hmm. doing this three years now. We've worked across 12 industries and over 100 different types of sort of stuck topics or engagements, you would call it, in the consulting world. And that was really my goal the last three years. I knew it worked for me, and I used it when we were trying to digitally transform the company. I used it when we were expanding in China, which we really got stuck on. And it was one of those game changers. Again, inflection point as a leader. It's like, wow, this wisdom-based methodology is what was missing all these years. So I wanted to go test that across a broad base of industries and engagements, and, and that's what we've been doing the last three years. And I'm happy to say we've seen it work across anything because it's really not about my knowledge, my company's knowledge. It's about finding wisdom. And this is the secret sauce. It's this simple wisdom formula that we built, which is wisdom is the unique combination of both knowledge and experience. And it has to be both. So if we can go find people that have both and we interject them in our journey from stuck to unstuck, it moves at warp speed. And that's it. That's the business model. It just does. <laughs> Excellent. And I want to push into the some of the nuts and bolts, or at least the, the approach of wisdom-based learning. But even before that, so you talk about that, that feeling of being stuck. And I'm just curious because I've experienced it and felt it, and I've seen it with a lot of clients and friends and colleagues along the way. Good people, great ideas, good organizations, and as you say, we're trying to move in a different direction, whether our hand is being forced or we're looking at a new opportunity. I'm imagining, and some things that I've seen, Craig, with others, maybe even with myself, when you feel stuck, there are different ways you can go that are probably ineffective. So one is you can be frozen, right? You just don't know what to do. Or you can chase shiny objects or spend so much time gathering information that you don't act. What do you see as patterns of when people and teams feel stuck of how that may show up in some destructive ways? Yeah. And so here's what happened to me. And now again, I've seen it with, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of wonderful conversations with C-suiters the last three years. So here, here are the two things that happened. One, I believe there's only two pathways that most organizations take or leaders take when they're stuck today. And the first door we go into is what I call the internal door. So all that means is we get our team together, nothing wrong with that. And we work furiously at getting unstuck. 
So we do it with our existing team. That tends, depending on how far, the further away we move from the core, the less effective that is. And now let's go back to the wisdom formula. Why is that process flawed? Which we all do it. I mean, it's a very natural thing to do. I did it. And sometimes it worked. But what I found was it worked because it was really pretty close to my core. So we really both had, if you go back to the formula, the knowledge and experience to get unstuck. Right? Because we have, you know, we had an amazing team. We had a bunch of folks that were really good at stuff. But here's the trick, though. The further we move from the core, so while I could do international expansion pretty well, got to China, and guess what? China for us was a big rut row. Very different, very hard, very far away from the core. And we were stuck. And the problem was the very people in the room working on getting unstuck had no knowledge and experience in China. None. Zero. And again, that's a problem. And I actually have a, a fun diagram in the book that explains this. I call it the circle of stuck. And I started doing this in some talks and one-on-one meetings a couple years ago, and it seemed to resonate. This is my story. And what the circle of stuck looks like, again, we're trying to solve all this stuff internally. So what's the first thing we do, right? We have a meeting. I already said that. We all have a meetings. After the meeting, we tend to do what? A summary of the meeting in email. And we tend to copy a lot of people on that. The record that I've heard on the carbon copy game is 347 carbon copies on one email. And that makes us feel good because we've got a lot of people involved. And then some months later, we have another meeting and that process kind of keeps repeating itself. We get frustrated that we're not moving forward because we're really not unstuck. And then we bring in some ideators, some think tanks, some design thinking. Good process, but we're really not getting unstuck. And then we get to the second door because now we're pretty frustrated. And that's code for we're probably nearly killing each other in these meetings at this point because we want everybody to get us on. We want to get unstuck. It's well-intentioned. So that's the first door. The second door is then we tend to turn to the traditional consulting industry. Again, I am not negative consulting. We used it. We paid millions and millions of dollars to big consulting firms every year. Most public companies especially do that. Great, great data, lots of knowledge. Uh Uh-oh, let's go back to the formula. Lots of knowledge. What about the experience? Almost no experience. I mean, great academics, a lot of case studies, a lot of, but guess what? The nuance of being a leader, particularly to get unstuck is I've got to have both have to have knowledge and experience helping me do this. So that's how I see stuck emerge. And I love it when I have conversations, particularly with CEOs, and they're like kind of squeamish. Well, I don't know if I'm stuck and all. Well, it's kind of fun. I start drawing the circle of stuck and most of them raise their hand and say, have you been in our meetings? <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah, you must have been a fly on the wall. Yeah, these were, these were my meetings, but I think they're the same everywhere. And it's like, let's just get over it. Nine months of meetings and email chains that grow bigger and bigger. And then we throw in the dreaded BCC because the CCs haven't worked. And before you know it, we've created this monster of stuff, but we're not unstuck. And you said something very important. I call it the strategy trap. It's easier. My strategy friends hate it when I say this, but it's true. I think it's easier to debate strategy than it is to pick one and start executing. Right. Mm-hmm. So human nature, let's get back in the room and, you know, and figure out a new strategy. Okay. And so all I did was I bumped into this idea and 
we started to percolate and use it is, wow, what if we just found two, three, four people that had real wisdom, real knowledge and experience? And I use China as an example all the time. You know, we were able to go find four people that had 125 years of knowledge and experience on China. And do you think I got unstuck faster having them help us out a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of intuitive and common sense, but the reason we trademarked rapid cycle learning is what I found all of a sudden, it was mind-blowing how fast really bright people, particularly really strong people, could learn this wisdom with the right forum and the right facilitation with these wise people. It's like, we can figure this stuff out. We just never had the knowledge and experience in the room. For me, it just worked so quickly that I wanted to go share it with other leaders. Sure. And Craig, you run a uh, firm now called GXG, which has codified this and has a process and you're growing quickly and applying this. And I'm, I'm curious a little bit, and we'll let you talk about the, the book as well and how you bring a lot of uh, these ideas together. But I'm curious of how this works in practice. You talk about knowledge plus experience. Yeah. And I'm imagining there's a balance, right? So if you are looking, you want people that would have industry knowledge and experience, but also diverse knowledge and experience. So if you're trying to learn how to go into global markets, and in this case, you were talking about China, well, you need someone who knows whether they've been in, in the insurance business or not, they need to know about relationships in China and distribution and all of those sorts of things. So how do you curate or facilitate as orchestra leader bring this wisdom-based learning in? How, how do you do that in different situations? Yeah, I mean, and again, I encourage anybody to go find the wise people. And, and a lot of the speaking that I do now is just to explain the methodology. I mean, it's great if you want GXG to help, but I actually, at this sort of age and stage in my work life, Jim, really care more because I know this really works at the operator level. But thank you for asking the question because the two delivery methods that we use that are most effective is we do a very small advisory board. So let's stick with my China example. If we have somebody that was struggling on China like I was, then depending on the industry, and and really we find better results with people that are in non-competitive industries. So it probably wouldn't be people in my case in the insurance and none of mine were from insurance. But nevertheless, we would go find three or four people that had, I call them swim lanes of wisdom. And I believe all of us all of us have a very defined swim lane where we really do have exceptional knowledge and experience. And so based on what the challenge somebody would be facing in China, in that example, we would go find the three or four people that we think have that relative or have a very deep understanding of it based on their knowledge and experience. And then we facilitate, we usually do three board meetings over about six months. They're super hard hitting. We use a a proprietary decision accelerator process that we've built, which is a little bizarre. It's a different way to sort of do meetings. And we drive very hard and fast to get and define what unstuck looks like for organizations. And we get there. I mean, I'm the thing I'm happiest about is after three years of doing this across a bunch of industries, I mean, the process hasn't been stumped. I'm not going to say me personally, because I get stumped on a lot of stuff, but the process has worked anywhere. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because there's an unlimited supply of virtually unlimited supply of wisdom out there. So that's how we do it for big you know, sort of organizational challenges. And then on, on the other side, the coaching thing, I was always frustrated with the coaching world. I had great coaches and it was super helpful as I moved up in organizations, but we get a certain level of leadership. And again, I get stuck as a leader. 
And so if you picture both the board work and our coaching work, it's all built around what we call a learning ecosystem. So for an individual, if I put you in the middle and let's say you want to be the COO or the CEO or whatever your aspiration is, we just build a little ecosystem. Or what are the two or three buckets of wisdom that you'd love to have to do your current job better or your next job, right? We just don't prepare leaders. And this is so much fun. This has been super gratifying because what we do then is we facilitate one hour Zoom session we call them learning sessions with these wise people in our network that are willing to share the knowledge and experience. And we usually do that either in a six-month or a one-year format. And so if you picture, again, traditional coaching, which I like, there's nothing certainly wrong with it, but it's sort of one person's body of work and a perspective that they've curated over time. It's awesome. What you picture with our body of work is to take six, eight, ten people very wise people specifically in those buckets of wisdom you want to acquire that are pouring into you over six months. And what I would argue, and we now have the evidence to show it, it changes the trajectory of leaders once you go through this. These learning conversations are, they're just amazing because it's focused on the wisdom you need. It's super fun to execute. I mean, our team loves doing these calls because we learn from them as well, but our clients just become different leaders through this process. So those are the just the two mechanisms we use. But again, anybody can do this. Once you understand the methodology, if you're stuck on something, draw an ecosystem. What are the component parts that I'm stuck on? And then look at your own network. There are people that have that wisdom in your network. You probably haven't thought of them that way. And then go engage them. And I promise you it'll move the needle. And Craig, before I have a just a moment, I want you to talk about the, the book coming up as well. But I want to pose a question that I think might be knocking around in the heads of our listeners. How is this different? And I'm, I'm going to have a hypothesis here, which you're free to tell the host that he's wrong. <laughs> How is this different than, say, a, a number of organizations will have, say, a, a customer advisory board? or a dealer advisory, however they, whomever they serve, however they go to market, which are more ongoing relationship building and to to bring a a different set of voices into decision-making. Sounds like what you're doing here though, is around a particular problem or a particular opportunity rather than being kind of a institutional in perpetuity type type of arrangement. Is that correct? Yeah, no. I, I, again, I'm an operator by background, Jim. And when I talk about getting stuck, I always use point A to point B as an example. We should know as leader what point B looks like. We should be able to describe it. We should be able to put metrics around it. And we better know that. And we can help, you know, and there's lots of people that can help with that. But once we know what point B is, that's what I'm driving at. This is not think tank work. We're not going to solve, you know, global peace or other things. I mean, this is not about any of that. And again, I'm not against those groups and if they're helpful for people. There's a lot of these sort of networking groups today that people are a part of and they like and they get together. And, and, you know, I'm all for it. I mean, a lot of camaraderie in that. I'm talking about really being stuck. If I've got to go do this digital transformation piece and I don't have the knowledge and experience in there, that's the difference. I want people in the room that have done 
already done what you're trying to do. And that's the difference. Again, these are operators, everybody that we get involved in. These are not consultants. These are not thought leaders on topics. These are not academics. Again, nothing wrong with all that body of work, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I want to bring operators that have done that into the room. And then again, we have a little bit of a secret sauce on facilitation and we're going to extract those answers. That's all. So it is a very different format. It's a different output that we're looking for. And again, I think those other groups are great. And if it's helpful for somebody, I say, I say go for it, but very different business model. Different groups for different purposes. And what you're talking about is incremental. It's additive, right? That's right. And, and you know, and I look at it this way, quite simply, none of us probably could ever be in a position, you know, or maybe Google and Amazon are, but most of us would never be in a position to just afford unlimited talent. So if you think about an organization of any size, and again, we work with companies that are, you know, Fortune 10 brands, you would know all the way down to, we actually have a model where we're helping new companies, venture companies. So it doesn't matter to me because I would say that any organization, if you think about what you're stuck on, wouldn't you love to have access to operators that have already done it? Well, we can't, shouldn't go hire them. It's super expensive. Well, let's just rent them for a couple of meetings. And the fun part is, again, back to the rapid cycle learning, it doesn't take months and years to do this stuff. You can literally do it in hours. We do four and eight hour segments and then some working group stuff in between. I think we've been so conditioned that learning takes so long. You know, I, I, isn't that kind of fascinating? Like, why is college four years? I mean, you have a PhD. I mean, who knows how long that is now, but I'm guessing you spent forever. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you're like, how did that happen? But what's, and I don't even know the answer. I mean, there's some theories, but my point is it has conditioned us to think that learning just takes forever. And guess what? For this stuff, it doesn't. You put a really bright person in the room with the right wisdom, you can get unstuck very quickly. And that's what gets me excited because we don't have the time anymore. I mean, people coming out of even the season we're in now with, you know, this really hard place, we have to get back to growing quickly. I mean, whether you're public and you have shareholders or you're private, you have investors or just your own company and you got to put food on the table. We don't have time to go pause and say, hey, I'm going to go learn about this for two years. You know, let's put this all on hold. I mean, it's just not realistic. So right. we, I really wanted to bring this methodology that moves people at a speed that they probably haven't experienced before. And for me, it's a blast. To me, it is the work that, again, that I love. I saw it work in my time as a CEO. And yeah, I just want to share it with folks. It is a difference between knowledge and skill that is, as I would put it, just in case versus that which is just in time. And so this has been a really great conversation, Craig, just fascinating your, your background and, and all of this. And I, I think we may have to have you back on the podcast later. Could you tell us you have a book that's upcoming, Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others? The, as you began to bring this together, I assume it's, it's something that others can use. Most of the readers aren't going to engage a, a GXG, but it's a way that you can approach this and get some value from 
as you say, wisdom-based learning. Tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, and that's all it is. And, and actually, I never set out to be a book writer, an author. I mean, not something was really on my radar, but had some clients that started suggesting that they'd seen the results and were super happy with it, which was exciting. But they suggested that we sort of write it all down. And, and so we've done that. The book's coming out very soon. And really, it's just a description of what wisdom-based learning is, kind of why we get stuck, as I mentioned before, a circle of stuck, and then what wisdom-based learning is. And then, most importantly, how you can go do it. I mean, it really is trying to share the methodology that you can do on your own or, you know, if we can help you or others that get interested in the topic and and start doing this, that's cool, too. I mean, I, I really do think it's a game changer. So yeah, it's a simple book that just describes the, the methodology and we just wanted to share it with a broader audience and it will be out in the next uh, 60 days or so. Message manager listeners, we'll have all those links in our show description, of course. And uh, Craig, this has been a, a great conversation. Uh, really, uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, We look forward to staying in touch with you and and having our listeners be in touch with you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jim. Enjoyed the conversation. Really appreciate it. Thanks to you for joining us on the podcast, whether you are a returning message manager listener or if this is your first time in. New listeners are finding us through good pods or personal recommendation or lists. We even made a popular list that got shared widely on LinkedIn of the top podcasts for binge listening during the pandemic. I appreciate that. And I hope you'll share your five-star rating and review and subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Whatever the case, I hope you continue to find ideas for honing your message, growing your base of messengers, and growing your business. You can dig in more deeply by reading or listening to my new book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it wherever business books are sold, and you can even check out a free sampler on my website, jimcar.com. That's K-A-R-R-H. I welcome a connection with you on LinkedIn, and I'd love to hear your ideas for future guests and topics. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com, and my direct mobile number is also on the website. So let's talk. And if your team or your company would like to make your everyday customer conversations a true growth engine for the business, then let's examine some options. I have a number of message leadership and growth programs, which I deliver virtually and in person when we're back to meeting in person again, so that you and everyone around your business can likewise be comfortable and effective in their customer conversations in all of the ways that they will be happening. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often. <laughs>